Hello and welcome. I'm Michael Banks and you're listening to Leadership Luminaries from PeopleSmart. Today's episode is called Emotional Intelligence, Game-Changing for Business and Life-Changing for People. My guest is Dr. Ben Palmer. Dr. Palmer will be answering the question, what is emotional intelligence and why the tagline, game-changing for business, life-changing for people. Ben has a PhD in psychology from Swinburne University, where he developed the first Australian model and measure of emotional intelligence. Together with Swinburne University's commercialization arm, Ben founded Genos International to bring his model and measure of emotional intelligence to the market. Today, Genos is a national Australian export success story. Genos has operations in Australia, North America, and Europe, and distribution partners servicing clients in India, China, South Africa, Southeast Asia, the UAE, and New Zealand. Companies from Walmart in the USA, to Accor Hotels based in Paris, to Qantas in Australia, have used the Genos model and measure of emotional intelligence to improve leadership, resilience, customer service, sales, and teamwork. And just before we start into the interview, a little bit about PeopleSmart. PeopleSmart is the company that produces this show. I'm the host. And PeopleSmart provides innovative learning solutions, both virtual and in person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. So good evening, Ben. Great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. And I believe your listeners are from all corners of the world. So good morning, good day, or good evening, depending on where you are. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Uh, and especially given that it is actually uh, in, in the evening your time, which is why I addressed you in that way. Um, Okay, super. Well, let's just get straight into it. We've got a bunch of questions I'd like to ask you. Um, and so the first one is, what is emotional intelligence? Hmm. Look, whenever I'm describing the concept of emotional intelligence, to help people really understand the power of it, I like to start by quickly summarizing the science of emotions, because I think that positions the skills of emotional intelligence very powerfully. If you look into the science of emotions, the way we feel influences many parts of ourselves, but three that are fundamental to business and indeed to life in general, are the way we think and the decisions that we make. You know, you wouldn't go and ask the boss for a pay rise or more resources if the boss was in a bad mood, they're more likely to say, no bugger off. You know, the, the scientific term for that is mood congruent thought. Of course, <laughs> emotions also influence the way we behave. If you think about it, they show up in your tone of voice, they show up in your facial expressions, they show up in your body language. And because of that, they're fundamental to how we connect, communicate and collaborate with each other. And finally, and this is perhaps of most interest to business, the way we feel influences the way employees perform um, when people feel valued, cared for, consulted, informed, understood. Uh, decades of research has shown that organisations that uh, help employees feel like that at work outperform significantly and demonstrably organisations where people feel overly worried, concerned, anxious and so on. So there's a link, if you like, between the way we feel 
the way we think, the way we behave, and the way we perform. Now, knowing that, I think, positions nicely the concept of emotional intelligence, which by definition is the capacity to perceive and understand emotions within yourself and others, the capacity to effectively express them and to be authentic with them, the capacity to reason with our emotions and help us use them to make effective decisions, and finally, our capacity to manage emotions. So again, both within ourselves and within others. So um, that's kind of what emotional intelligence is, if you like, and I hope that also paints uh, in part perhaps why it's important. Yes, thank you very much, that's tremendous. What are the uh, specific skills of EI and, and what's your favorite and, and why? Sure, well, there's a lot of my work has actually been done uh, academically, that is in the early years, not so much anymore, but when I was in, academia and in my PhD, I focused a lot on defining emotional intelligence and there are many different kind of models and measures of it. But my research specifically looked at what the real core elements of it are. So when I get asked what are the specific skills, I'm going to describe six of them that are um, known in research to be the core competencies, if you like, of the construct. So the first one is emotional self-awareness, this capacity to perceive and understand your own feelings and that of course is important whether you are a leader, a salesperson, a customer service representative because the way you feel is constantly influencing your decisions, your behaviour and your performance. So the more you're aware of the way you feel, the more you're able to intelligently use your emotions to uh, make sure you're demonstrating the best thinking, the best decisions and indeed the best behaviour. The second skill of emotion intelligence is emotional awareness of others this skill of perceiving and understanding the way others feel now um, again if you're a leader in business and leadership in, to me at least is fundamentally about uh, getting the best out of people unleashing their potential if the way pe people feel influences the way they think behave and perform of course that's a critical skill in leadership. This emotional awareness of others, of course, also contributes to things like empathy. It's not empathy, they are two um, slightly distinct constructs, but of course, without perceiving and understanding, it's very hard to, to indeed empathize. The third uh, competency of emotional intelligence is authenticity, which is about the skill of effectively and appropriately expressing how you feel. I think Aristotle once summed this up nicely, to be angry is easy, but to be angry in the right way, to the right degree, at the right time uh, is not. And so I like to think of authenticity as that skill and that finesse of expressing how you feel in a way that creates engagement and understanding with others. Can I, can the, I just interrupt there, Ben, a second? Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think that's a really good point because uh, from my experience, a lot of people think of authenticity as being, well, just, you know, if you feel a certain way, just feel it and say it and express it, which is sometimes completely inappropriate and irresponsible and leads to bad results. So I think it's great you made that distinction between, uh, you, know, or, you know, what is skillful authenticity, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, without naming them, a couple of political world leaders come to mind who uh, perhaps could think a little bit more about their intention behind their expressions. But it's a fascinating dimension uh, of emotional intelligence. I think there is both the, the being blunt, you know, expressing how you feel without any regard for the context, if you like. At the other end of that 
continuum is guarding the way you feel. And that's very um, unhelpful and very uh, detrimental uh, often too. You know, I don't know about you, but the first time I rode a horse, I didn't need to tell it I was nervous and anxious about being on its back, you know, (laughs) to tell this. And now we're talking about an animal that's nowhere near as sophisticated as the human being and the young born child before it can even really recognize its mother's face can detect the emotions of its mother and it starts behaving uh, accordingly. So, you know, in the old days of leadership, we used to think about, you know, emotional expression being we have to be the hero. We were always confident, resilient and demonstrating calm and, and confidence. And of course, now things have accelerated a bit and we understand that that's, uh, you know, still remains true to some extent, but we need to add to that vulnerability. We need to be able to share when we're feeling concerned, when we're feeling frustrated, when we're um, not feeling quite right about something. That's a very powerful aspect of leadership as well. And of anything, I mean, salespeople who are authentic. Um, you know, emotions serve to connect us and it's through this authenticity with them that we're able to connect with each other. The, um, the fourth skill of emotional intelligence is emotional reasoning. If you think about emotions, they get in the way of good, clear decision-making. One can be so upset you couldn't think straight. All of us have that time when we've sent that email out of anger, only wanting to get it back about half an hour later. And part of emotional reasoning is about recognising that feelings can rule the way we think and and having a reflective, uh, if you like, practice that stops those sorts of things from happening, to move from reactions to responses, by way of example. But there's another element to emotional reasoning that makes it extremely interesting as well, part of emotional intelligence, that being that emotions are full of information. They are data, just like anything else. You know, at a very basic level, feeling hungry provides you with information that you need to eat. Uh, mutual feelings of warmth and trust in an in a interpersonal engagement tell you about your level of affinity, rapport. We're constantly reasoning with this information. Some of us are just doing it more consciously than others. You know, the morale of your team tells you something about how well they're likely to embrace change, by way of example. So um, leaders and others who are high in this skill are combining that kind of data with other sorts of data to make effective decisions. And that's a, a critical skill. The uh, fifth skill is uh, emotional self-management. It's fairly obvious and demonstrable to people when they don't have it. I'm sure, Michael, you and I at our age can remember people like John McEnroe, for example. Oh, my God. <laughs> you yeah. cannot be serious. <laughs> Someone who was perhaps described more as temperamental rather than uh, say resilient. So, yeah, we all differ in our capacity to effectively regulate and manage our emotions. And, um, yeah, I think, that, of course, you know, it speaks for itself today in today's world where empathy and resilience and well-being are looked at by uh, corporate decision makers around the world is a very, very valuable skill. I think the head of Disney was talking with Josh Burnson the other day about um, you know, leaders needing to be now the chief well-being officers. Well, um, your own emotions are very contagious. And so this skill is a highly prized one in people at the moment. And then finally, the sixth skill uh, of emotional intelligence is what I label positive influence. I'm not sure if we can directly manage the emotions of others. Some, again, political leaders might like to differ with me, but 
um, I, I like to think about it more as that skill at positively influencing the way others feel. Of course, there's a dark side to that, which you might call manipulation, but I call it the, the skill and the art of positively influencing uh, the way others feel, something my mother's very good at. So there you go. There are our six, if you like, core skills. Uh, tremendous. Thank you, Ben. Um, and in fact, if we have time at the end, uh, I'd like to revisit one or two of those as well in a bit more depth, because mm. there's, a, there's a rich mine of... Uh, of wisdom uh, within each of those available if we want to tap into it. Um, okay, good. Uh, what is, um, you know, or rather why would you say is emotional intelligence game-changing for business? Hmm. Well, I think it's game-changing on a, a number of levels. Um, firstly, business at the moment is obviously going through a very difficult time. So, you know, businesses are needing to adopt rapid change by way of example. Now, change is very disruptive emotionally, creates a lot of anxiety, concern. And uh, so organisations that want to make or execute strategy with speed, you know, need to have emotionally intelligent people so they can do that. Organisations are increasingly global and wanting people who can quickly perceive and understand people and work in multicultural, multi-generational uh, workplaces where someone can engage millennials and people of different backgrounds by way of example. And we know that it's our emotional intelligence, these perceiving, understanding, managing emotion, these skills are critical uh, to that. And uh, I think it's also game changing for business because as we we're saying, you know, the way people feel is fundamental to the way people perform. Good decisions, good behavior have always been of interest to business. But finally, I would say it's game changing for business because as we move into a world of automation, artificial intelligence, the thinking component of jobs into the future will continue to be dissolved, if you like, by machines as they pick up more and more of that heavy lifting. And what will be prized in people is social persuasion, the capacity to take information and, and execute with it, um, to interact with the public. Um, more and more we'll see businesses wanting to go and do business directly with the public and the gig economy and so on. And so, you know, Capgemini, the consulting firm, did a scan of the market in late 2019. So this is pre-COVID asking business leaders of the top 25 global companies in the world, you know, how valuable do you think emotional intelligence is? Where are you placing it kind of in the scheme of things? And they came to conclusion that the, emotion, the, the kind of, uh, appetite for emotional intelligence, if you like, will increase sixfold over the next three years as this world of automation uh, comes comes into more and more effect. So it, it, they're the kind of reasons why it's game-changing for business. Fantastic. Great. Thank you, Ben. Um, my next question is, um, what are organisations using EI, emotional intelligence, for? What outcomes are they getting from it? Do you have any examples? Yeah, absolutely. So um, some organizations are using emotional intelligence simply to sharpen up leadership. Some organizations just haven't necessarily looked at their leadership workforce from an AI perspective. They haven't understood where uh, their people are at in comparison to the market by way of example. So they want to put people through an assessment, have a look at their workforce, understand whether they have a skills gap in this area or whether they're competitive, uh, if you like. So 
some organisations are using the concept really simply to ready themselves for this future that I've been talking about with artificial intelligence and automation that's coming. Other businesses are using emotional intelligence to improve sales and customer service, particularly what you might call red ocean businesses, banking by way of example, you know, one of the big banks find it very difficult necessarily to differentiate themselves against each other. But one of the things, of course, that's always uh, the golden prize in banking, I think, is customer service, you know, customer loyalty drives customer profitability. So the banks are very interested in it and using it a lot as uh, sort of a, a way of running a classic profit service chain methodology, uh, if you like. Um, the pharmaceutical companies are using it a lot with their sales forces as, uh, you know, organiser as pharmaceutical uh, industries become more and more competitive with generics that come in, they're always needing to sharpen up the performance of their sales uh, teams. And traditionally, pharmaceutical companies have done a lot of sales training. Um, what they haven't necessarily done is a lot of personal development. And so, you know, enhancing people's self-awareness, their empathy, their capacity to positively influence others. These, of course, make people more effective on the job, but they also make them more effective uh, at home as well. So these are the kind of things that organisations are using emotional intelligence for executing strategy and or change with speed, um, improving customer service, improving sales effectiveness. They're the, the big ones. You can go much broader than that, of course, to education. I mean, um, effective school culture is fundamental to student outcomes, student uh, achievement outcomes. And so education is a, another big sector where we're training up our teachers and our our head school masters and principals and things to be emotionally intelligent. You know, I don't think uh, there's anyone out there who wouldn't agree that uh, a teacher without emotional intelligence just doesn't pub, doesn't pass the pub test for want of a better word, you know. Yeah. Uh, as, as a, as a, a trained high school teacher after I left university, um, I'm uh, very familiar with the need for emotional intelligence skills. Yeah. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember, um, some of the rowdy, you know, 15 year olds uh, in a, you know, 20 of them in a classroom going nuts. And, uh, you know, I, I had to learn on my feet that there was a way to communicate that was not shouting at them to shut up because they wouldn't. And if I just, if I just stood there and quietly said, can I have your attention, please? Uh, about the second time I said it, suddenly the whole room would hush. Mm. Um, it was a very interesting experience, but uh, you know, I want to come back just or to underline the point you just made about how organizations in, in the business world are using EI. Um, I think the point you made about the fact that it's, it's nowadays quite hard, especially in banking, for example, as you said, and, and uh, generic pharmaceuticals, quite hard to dis differentiate yourself mm. in your competition. And I, I've always believed the last few years that, a, a customer service front line um, is all about the relationship. And if you fit, make the, the customer or potential customer feel great, and they're so happy to talk to you, then that's a real, that's a winner there. And it does distinguish you from other companies, especially now, because I get really fed up with not being able to speak to anyone in a company. Oh, yes. And so when I, when I actually get through to someone, um, 
or a company that actually does have allow for more access on the phone rather than simply having to you know navigate through all the digital ways in which you can communicate which are very frustrating it's a it's a treat to speak to a live human being who's actually genuinely helpful authentic friendly and knows what they're doing so to my i just wanted to uh, emphasize yeah, yeah no look i think it's a great point and i think um you know one of the organisations and the people that comes to mind for me that I think uh, really illustrates this point that you and I are talking about here very well is Herb Kelleher, the uh, former founder and CEO of South Southwest Airlines in the United States. You know, in the US, Southwest was one of the very first and very successful uh, budget airlines, as a lot of people would know. And Herb Kelleher was very famous for getting around and saying the business of business is people. And he would go further than that and say, all airlines have aeroplanes. And, uh, you know, he would talk about how, yeah, you know, the airline industry, um, I can't decimated at the moment, but, you know, he'd say all airline, all airlines have aeroplanes. It's culture and it's people and things that make the real difference in this kind of competitive industry. And he was famous particularly around this dimension that you, uh, I know, have done and written a lot about, and that's authenticity. You know, he was one of the first to say to airline staff, let's drop the typical scripts, let's bring some of our authentic selves to it. And you can, of course, go into YouTube and look up Southwest Airlines uh, employees giving the safety demonstration and other things in very authentic, self-driven kind of ways. And, of course... He loosened up, if you like, some of the rules. They still had to say some fundamental things that they would, but he wanted people to be their authentic selves and work and drive an incredibly successful business model on that basis. Herb also, um, you know, demonstrated a lot of positive influence. He really drove a culture at that company where people felt genuinely cared for. And he's famous for the some of the little things. He, he'd turn up at the baggage handlers in his suit and throw his jacket off and start loading ba bags on the plane and would very much make himself feel um, that he was a human being, not the CEO of the airline. And I think that you know, speaks testament to what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great example, Ben. Um, it also reminds me of Richard Branson um, in building his organisation and how authentic he was when he joined uh, my old friend Nick Graham, um, who founded uh, Joe Boxer, the underwear company with the smiley faces. <laughs> and, and Branson would actually go on his transatlantic flights with Nick, and they'd walk down the aisle, aisle th uh, throwing um, these underwear at <laughs> the passengers. And, you know, it's, it's things like that that made Branson such an inspiration for his people and why his organization grew so rapidly and why they were so inspired by him. But yeah, I think, um, uh, gosh, it's such an interesting uh, topic, as you as you said. Um, yeah, I'd say, um, too, just finishing on it, you yeah. know, why is it game-changing for business? Well, mm. it's game-changing because it improves the top line. Care, compassion, mixed with firmness, drives productivity. So you improve the top line of your business when you are able to create that Herb Kelleher type culture and your company with emotional intelligence. But more than that, you also improve your costs. So people have less days off, there's less turnover, um, there's less stress-related leave claims, there's less uh, bullying claims and things like that. And all these things add up and are quite prevalent 
in big businesses. These are costs that often get hidden very well by chief executives and uh, CFOs, but they exist. And so it's game changing for business in summary because you improve your top line, but you also create a better bottom line result as well. Does that make sense? Uh, totally, yeah. And I'm pleased you, you raised the so-called hidden um, profits that are made from having a leadership that has created that culture, you know, like lack of, you know, <laughs> the opposite of that, of course, is people don't want to be at work. So they find every reason to get sick or to just stay away or get distracted while they're at work, you know, because they're not into their work. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, the other thing is that what I've noticed in, in the market, in the corporate world uh, in the last year or two, is that people, in fact, this year particularly, organizations that I'm talking to are looking to have their leadership first assessed uh, in terms of how are they doing relative to, to their emotional and intelligence skill levels. And that's happening more and more. Um, I'm, I'm hearing from global heads of learning and development, heads of HR saying, of global companies are saying, yeah, we've identified emotional intelligence as being a priority now. Yeah, no. absolutely. And assessment's a great place to start because uh, of the famous Dunning-Kruger effect that exists around this concept. And let me explain that uh, for everyone in digestible uh, terms. If you take 100 people randomly off the street and ask them, how emotionally intelligent do you think you are? Uh, you know, 80% of the sample will say, you're you know, a bit better than average. And of course, uh, that isn't true. We know that our emotional intelligence is fairly normally distributed in the population like uh, IQ is. And so, um, you know, people don't like to think of themselves as not emotionally intelligent. And a lot of people therefore overestimate how well they do at this skill. So that's one reason why assessment is so critical, particularly to development. We also know that some people who are very emotional, the people who are very emotionally intelligent often underestimate how well they do. They demonstrate more intellectual humility to draw uh, on that concept. And so, um, you know, assessment as a way of grounding people and as a way of saying, well, how well does our talent do in this critical competency um, is very, very important to business right now. So you do see a lot of businesses wanting to look at their talent pool and determine where they're at and also doing it as a way of developing emotional intelligence in their people as well. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And actually, um, I'm also interested in the idea, I think you developed a new tool in the last year, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's a, an emotional intelligence measurement tool for, for hiring. And I'll, I'll say why I'm interested in that is because um, in my life as an executive coach working with big companies, um, I, what I've found a lot of times is they would hire really high level executives that were not fit for the culture that they were being hired into. And it was a total disaster. And that cost millions, literally in terms of, you know, signing on fee, hiring, and then when you have to let them go because it doesn't work out and, uh, and all that sort of thing. Uh, so the hiring, I mean, can you say a little bit about that? Because I think it's a fantastic idea. People, yeah. a lot of people are not very good at hiring the right people for, the right, for their organizations. Can you yeah. talk about that? 
Sure. I think that the right starting place for that is saying, is emotional intelligence one of the things that's critical to the performance of this role? Now, if that's sales, customer service, leadership, um, I would argue that it is. In any roles that have a high level of emotional labour, um, you know, emergency services, healthcare, aged care, you know, the, the list goes on, call centre people by way of example, you'll find that these skills are quite critical to performance in those kind of roles. And so you definitely want to be doing two things. Um, the first thing, or three actually, the first thing is you want to be making sure that you're bringing emotionally intelligent people into the organisation. So you need to have a process that helps you identify people who naturally have high levels of this concept. You secondly want to be developing your workforce that exists to make sure they're as emotionally intelligent as they can be. And we know from the research that you can improve people's emotional intelligence by on average about 17 percentile points. And thirdly, you want to be transitioning people out who haven't got it. There's nothing worse than the school teacher without emotional intelligence, as we were saying before. They simply need to get off the bus and look for roles that yeah. aren't as interpersonally uh, dependent. But on the recruitment side, um, there are tests out there that you can use with external hires that, are, that test people's emotional abilities, and they are important to use. You can't use 360 instruments, obviously, with uh, external hires. It will never, never get done. But we have a tool called the Emotional Aperture Measure, and it looks at people's capacity to perceive and understand emotions in groups. Uh, we used to use Paul Ekman's work at looking at a single face and you know, look at people's ability to read emotions in, in a single face. Well, very little work really involves that kind of thing at the moment. So this instrument looks more at your capacity to actually perceive and understand emotions in groups. And so we have now instruments we like that that we can use in, in recruitment. Of course, just because you have a high level of the natural ability doesn't necessarily mean you use it in useful ways. You know, very bright people do very stupid things. Um, very emotionally intelligent people can lead countries in very interesting ways. Um, you know, a certain German leader uh, around the 1940s comes to mind. A certain American leader in the United States also comes to mind right now. Having said all that, um, it, so in, in hiring, it's important not only to look at the underlying ability, but to kind of test out how that might play out in the real world. And so we do a lot of work with businesses, helping them design and execute role-play-based simulations that draw on self-awareness and empathy and, and so on. And um, we also do a lot of behavioral interviewing around emotional intelligence as well. Let's take one of the skills self-awareness and I'll just run through a typical uh, interview structure for, yeah. for self-awareness. Um, we would start asking questions firstly about what is the construct, you know, what is self-awareness and why is it important? We then, and that's kind of testing people's knowledge, if you like. The second sort of area of the questions we'd ask is what things can you do to improve your self-awareness? And there we're looking for the use of things like feedback tools and getting to understand your values and beliefs, the way you think, the way you feel, and so on. And then the third set of questions tend to ask, and what have you done with those tools and what have you learnt about yourself? So the sort of you're looking for knowledge, you're looking for use of and knowledge of how to get improvements in the area and then what about, whether people have actually done the work, if you like. To simplify, we call it mindset, tool set and skill set. You know, do they understand this stuff intellectually? Do they know what tools are out there to develop it within themselves? And have they actually done the work? And it's that final set of questions in particular that we find up trips 
a lot of candidates who get it intellectually but don't actually know how to execute on it behaviourally. That's so interesting. You remind me of when I uh, was uh, a partner in a uh, in a very successful coaching firm in America, and uh, we used to uh, look to hire new consultants. And some of the uh, PhD uh, uh, psychology graduates from Harvard uh, were amazingly intellectual, but when it came to actually coaching anyone, they were useless because they, they didn't have the, that side of it. They, they had the reasoning side, but not the emotional intelligence side, which, um, yeah. you know, and so that brings me on to, uh, I know you're particularly interested in emotional reason, reasoning and how mm. that can affect uh, positive results. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So emotional reasoning, um, as I was saying before, sort of the skill of using emotional information from yourself and others, combining it with facts and figures to help you make effective decisions and um, I think it's a critical skill because uh, the way we feel about things is a little bit like our moral compass if you like it's kind of a bit of that gut feel that intuition that uh, you know we should or shouldn't be engaging in something and I think in business today particularly at the very upper echelons of it um, you where you don't have all the data uh, in front of you and you can't wait until you can either gut feel and intuition and, and just knowing where to go intuitively is so important and so emotional reasoning there's a guy uh, at emory college in the united states called uh, professor geike i can't remember his first name at the moment but he was looking at mba students these were seasoned executives and not themselves and their capacity to develop good strategy and he was uh, looking at whether this was more of an IQ-oriented task or whether it was more of an EQ-oriented task. And he certainly found that those MBA students who were able to develop strategy quickly and readily drew much more on areas of their brain associated with emotional reasoning and emotional intelligence than IQ. In fact, the article that he published in the Harvard Business Review is in fact titled uh, when emotional reasoning trumps IQ, and it's all around uh, business strategy by way of example. The, um, the second thing about emotional reasoning is if you look at a lot of the big corporate collapses, particularly those that are corruption-filled, it's like Enron, for example, it's usually where emotional reasoning um, has been lacking, if you like, in, in leaders. You know, every business whether you are a bank, an airline, a mining company, or uh, a car manufacturer, has a social license. Whether that's um, very explicit or implicit is neither here nor there. You know, companies need to create good in the world in order for them to be successful. And I think when organisations lose sight of that social license to operate and get arrogant around it, like Enron did, like Tyco and others have, um, this is when it can really hurt, hurt their performance big time. And our research on leaders has shown that uh, some people who suffer um, quite a bit from this lack of social conscience, this lack of moral reasoning, um, it often comes down to deficits in, in emotional reasoning. So it's a really critical skill in business. We all suffer from bias and things like that. And this is the skill that helps us uncover some of those things. That's fascinating. I was uh, on a panel on Monday this week on uh, the topic of toxic leadership. And uh, one of the panelists 
has made a particular study of the fact that, uh, that typically toxic leadership has uh, at its root uh, fear and insecurity. So those leaders who are perceived to be toxic and behave that way, yeah. and there are various forms or various roots of that fear. So you get the fear leading to arrogance, which is a cover-up, perhaps um, the fear leading to someone who's a martyr and so on. But it was very interesting to, to, uh, to, to consider what is toxic leadership. And I think that probably um, relates a little bit, at least, to what you're talking about, which is um, the ability of the leader to, to balance the, the rational with the sensitivity to feelings, to their own feelings and to others. And when those yeah. don't exist, there's more of a tendency to be the quote unquote toxic leader because they don't care, they don't seem to care and they're yeah. so guarded and so on. Do you agree with that sort of a direction that I'm talking about? Yes, I do, I, I very much do. And I also, I think that's a window in and an opportunity for me to talk about what emotional intelligence is not. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is, we have been looking at very much so far in this interview, the um, kind of more positive, almost kumbaya type elements of emotional intelligence. And certainly it is about care, compassion, empathy, and so on. But emotional intelligence is not a soft skill. Emotional intelligence is not HR puff and stuff. It is not warm and fuzzy. It's about bringing care and compassion together with firmness and resolve and strong leadership as well. And New Zealand's Prime Minister does this very well, at least she's written up as doing it well. Let me talk about some of the things you're talking about there, for for example. Let's take authenticity. Now, um, I think authenticity, the skill of effectively expressing how you feel, is very, very important for corporate culture. We know when it's not done well, when you're blunt with your feelings, you shut other people down so they don't open up. Next minute, you have a culture of artificial harmony and a fear of confrontation. And that is very much to do, use Patrick Lencioni's words, one of the five dysfunctions of any uh, team uh, of people. And so um, people who are emotionally intelligent do not shy away from conflict. Yeah. They do not um, not speak up. They do speak up. And this is how I talk about emotional intelligence as being a firm skill as much as it is a soft one. Emotionally intelligent people are still angry. Emotionally intelligent people still express their frustration. They just do it in considered ways, but they do it in ways that get outcomes. And those outcomes usually aren't defensiveness and cover-ups. They are engagement, problem-solving, conflict resolution, and move on. And that's what makes businesses with high levels of emotional intelligence efficient and product productive. Yes, very good point. And in fact, uh, just to add on to what you're saying, uh, the point that I was making on the panel on Monday was uh, that, you know, it, it, to your point, it, it is emotional intelligence is actually being assertive and courageously assertive and direct when you need to be in a manner, in a style, in the way you deliver it, which is still respectful, which is still receivable. Because if you, sh- if you do it in a way that's an accusatory, pointing the finger, angry, blaming, the other person is not going to receive it very well. In fact, they'll either blank off or want to punch you in the face, mm. uh, as you know. I mean, and so really, I think 
I'd just like to endorse what you're saying about the, the hard skill. And actually it is hard as well because we do confront our own fears if we're emotionally intelligent about, well, I can't say that to the employee, it might upset them. Well, you may need to say that, whatever it is. And, but the Nothing worse than a doctor who might tell you you've got cancer when you have it, you know, you've exactly, got to, exactly. to say that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good point. I think there are, um, I think there are three, there's a lot, obviously, of mindsets that sit around emotional intelligence, but in my experience, as opposed to in my research, in my experience, I've found that there are three fundamental mindsets, I think, of the leader who does this well. The first one is courageous, as you were talking about there, that capacity to put out their point of view and to say, this is what I believe is going on, you know, so to be courageous and to put themselves out there. The second mindset that I think goes with that beautifully is to be curious. So they're asking a lot of questions, doing a lot of listening to what other people's point of view are, and also inviting curiosity in other people to say, well, that's your point of view, Michael, but what have you done to validate that point of view. I want you to get very curious about your fundamental and underlying beliefs and suppositions here. So the curious mindset of the emotionally intelligent leader helps them also um, engage in and create sense-making where there's consensus that comes from that curiosity. And then finally, I think the third mindset that goes with it is collaborative, right? We need to get on with this. Here's where we need to get to. How are we going to get there? Lots of empowerment, lots of autonomy, very much outcomes uh, driven. But if you step back and think about it, I think they're the three mindsets of the emotionally intelligent leader, courageous, curious, and collaborative. Fantastic. Love it. Um, I really like that, uh, that definition. It's tremendous. Um, we're getting near the end, so um, I wanted to get through all the questions. So we've got another one here. Um, and I think you've already been addressing it to some degree, but why is emotional intelligence life-changing for people in general? Mm. Mm. This is uh, perhaps my biggest love of working in this field. The skills that we've been talking about tonight um, well, my, my evening anyway, <laughs> self-awareness, empathy, um, awareness of others, the capacity to lean into conflict and um, be courageous around it or authenticity and so on are, of course, not just important at work. They are important socially and romantically uh, as well. And so when people develop up these skills through workplace programs, they inevitably become a better partner, a better sibling, a better friend, uh, they often become a better parent by way of example. And the, the thing that keeps me very interested in this topic is not only my own personal work in that space, but you know, when, when business leaders say, oh yeah, yeah, the team's performing better, but I've also developed a better relationship with my 17 year old daughter or my 15 year old son or whatever. I mean, that's, that's really the stuff that, that keeps you going at night, isn't it? You know, so um, yeah, and, and I think for business, it's a very holistic thing to do. You're not just helping someone be better at work. You're helping them be better in their home life as well. And, of course, there's no divorce between those two things. If you have a bad day at work, you often go home and have a bad day at home and, and mm -hmm. vice versa. It's a very holistic thing um, to do. And that's why the tagline of our business is game-changing for business and life-changing for people. Yeah, actually... Um, uh I, I totally agree with you. In my uh, coaching of executives, I'll, I've got a number of stories, but one in particular 
a guy in New York who worked for a, um, a well-known financial company. And uh, he, uh, he was a, an engineer from Eastern Europe. And he was uh, extremely uh, analytically oriented. And uh, I would go into his office and he'd be uh, with his back to me on his chair, looking at his computer. And he'd turn around when I got, came in the room and he said, hello, what are we gonna do today? Mm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I, I won't mention his name. Uh, but, you know, what, what happened is that I, I actually got him some feedback about his, how he was impacting all the people around him. And um, I, I took him away for a day to read it all out to him. And he, um, he actually took the data, it was about 120 verb, pages of verbatim data, and he, he put it into an engineering chart with color coding, the number of times that different words were mentioned. And so he, he came to his self-awareness through this engineering analysis. But the point I want to make is that um, after, it took a long time, but after uh, several months, he said to me, Michael, uh, my relationship with my family has improved incredibly. And he, I would go into his room and instead of how I described him first uh, addressing me, he'd, he'd turn around with a smile on his face, Michael, how are you? How was your weekend? Mm. And the difference was night and day. And he was a much happier man as a result. So when you're talking about emotional intelligence um, is life-changing for people through the work they do in the business environment, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. And, and like you, I, I get excited about the, the impact on, on one's personal life as well as through the business work, if you like. So. Yeah, absolutely. We, I was doing some work with a group just the other day. We're doing some work around triggers and reactions and how we need to move from triggers and reactions to triggers and responses, you know, so just defining the difference between a, a reaction and a response. Yeah. And like your story, um, people were getting feedback from their colleagues around what they saw as their triggers. And not only what the trigger was, but what the reaction was, the behavioural expression around the trigger. And so one uh, particular person got told, you know, I think whenever we criticise you, you're incredibly defensive. So the trigger is criticism and the reaction is defensiveness. And uh, this person, uh, of course, said, oh, no, I'm not. Don't be silly. And it just gave quite a defensive response to it, which was hilarious. And we all had a good laugh about it. But later on that night, of course, this particular person went home and shared that with their partner, who went on to give them quite a good um, dressing down about their defensiveness at home as well. And so uh, up on the fridge and at the back of the toilet door for a while, this uh, particular person had two big words, defensiveness and openness. And they were there to remind this person about moving from defensiveness to openness and just to say, oh, gee, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. You know, not, not with that kind of condescending tone, but to lean in and really just explore more when criticism was given. It was totally life-changing for, for uh, this particular person. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, we could talk for a lot longer. Well, at least I could. Um, about this, um, but I, I know that we, we have a limited amount of time left. So I'm gonna to start to wrap it up. Well, first of all, Ben, this has been absolutely tremendous. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And um, I, can only, I can only say that um, I'm convinced that people listening to this with even the slightest bit of interest in what is emotional intelligence will have gained a huge bunch of insights uh, from what you've said. And um, 
I'd like people to know how to contact you. Um, can you share with me and with the audience what is the best way to do that? Yeah, sure. The best way to do it is really just to email our company support uh, email address, which is support mm -hmm. at genosinternational.com. G-E-N-O-S international or one word dot com. Um, that email gets regularly checked and passed on to me and things. So if people just mention that they, uh, you know, were listening to the podcast and would like to reach out, um, absolutely we get connected uh, that way. And let me say, uh, Michael, that it's been a privilege to be with you uh, today. Thank you for having me on the show. And I do hope uh, that people have, um, you know, got more interested in where they might normally have uh, where they, where they might have started at, I suppose, in this important area of, uh, of ourselves. Well, thank you, Ben. And uh, I'd just like to thank you for the pioneering work you've been doing in the field and um, how beneficial the work you're doing and your, your organization's doing for people all over the world. Um, all power to you. May it continue and blossom and flourish. And um, hopefully, um, we'll be in touch down the road, so to speak. So uh, enjoy your rest as it's the evening there. And uh, thanks again, Ben. Thank you. Thanks very much. Good evening. Oh yeah. Good evening to you.